Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 238 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Eeks, leeks and fondant. What a combination. What's an eek I hear you say? Well, stay tuned to find out more on that. The detective work on the leek continues and a chat about when and how to feed fondant over the winter months. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. (laughs) And uh, I, for one, am getting a little excited, as you can probably tell. Welcome back, everyone. And this year, even more excited, because for the first time in many years, we have a young child, our grandson, Rowan, who is about 18 months old now, And he's really starting to take notice of everything around him. So Christmas this year is going to be doubly exciting because, as you all know, the 21st of December is our shortest day. By the time we sit down to our Christmas feasts, day length will be extending and spring is just around the corner. Well, almost. It does mark the point in the year, at least for me, when my hand hovers over the panic button and the workload ramps up. More so this year, as we may well have a decision on the grain store as our future base of operations in the very near future. There's still a long way to go in sorting this out, but as I've said before, the new season will be here before we know it, and then my focus will be on the bees and everything else will just have to wait. We've just been hit by our first proper winter weather, as I'm sure most of you know. Uh, We've had a very light dusting of snow. It looks more like icing sugar sprinkled on a mince pie than fondant icing covering a Christmas cake, just to continue the seasonal analogies. But here in Norwich this morning, the temperature was minus two degrees Celsius as I drove out to one of our local stockists to deliver a batch of honey for them and I don't think it's going to get much warmer for the next couple of weeks. Who knows, we may even see a white Christmas this year. These winter conditions are perfect for our colonies, believe it or not. I don't quite like the freezing fog that we had this morning and that tends to hang around but if the clouds do part and we get a little sunshine then it's a really good situation for our bees to be in and here's why our honeybee colonies have evolved to produce honey and sit out the winter with those food stores they cluster together to maintain a minimum level of warmth for the adult bees to survive and then ramp up that heat in the core of the cluster for any brood that's produced so that it will make it through too when we have, as we just have, milder, even warm conditions through late autumn, our bees head out of the hive in search of forage. They go out on toilet breaks and uh, 
carry out other domestic chores. Importantly, if it's too warm for them to cluster and slow down, the entire colony will continue to move around and burn energy and consume their food stores, leading, potentially, to a situation where starvation can become a very real challenge. It's not so much the here and now that's the problem, it's more January and February when those food supplies run out or bees find themselves isolated away from their food stores and can effectively starve in what we would term isolation starvation. It's also worth noting that smaller colonies, whilst less prone to starvation due to the consumption of all their stores, can also find themselves more likely to be trapped in an isolation starvation situation because of an inability to move en masse across the brood frames to food because their small area of brood would then become exposed and die so they have a reluctance to move away from that small patch of brood despite the food being quite close to them apparently available and that there being plenty of weight in the hive when the beekeeper hefts it in late winter on this point, if you've popped the crown board and taken a look at your bees at all this autumn and winter, maybe you've been treating them, you'll have a good idea of the number of bees that you've got in the hive, the seams of bees between all of those frames. If you only have two or three seams of bees, then I would suggest that these are the likeliest colonies to be at potential risk of isolation starvation. And so just bear that in mind as we head into the new year. Larger colonies, you'll hear tell of these, beekeepers bragging rights held up at the Christmas get-togethers proclaiming that they have nine or even ten seams of bees in their massive colonies. These hives are the ones that have the potential to fail through a more simpler form of starvation the masses of bees all needing to feed and a lack of foresight from the beekeeper. You'll also hear these beekeepers tell of the collapse of their colony because of nosema or varroa rather than holding their hands up and saying I let them starve. Anyway these hives are the ones that will munch their way through the food you've left them and end up starving in late January or early February. It's why you need to pop out and heft them lift the roof off and check for bees, and also pop off the crime board and check the location of the cluster in relation to the food stores that they have. Personally, if I have a small colony, I'll pop a bag or two of fondant on them rather than mess around shifting frames of food from the outside of the brood box into a position closer to the brood nest. But if you have time, then this is a perfectly good way of sorting the food situation out but it is a bit fiddly, the frames will be fixed tight with propolis, the bees won't like you digging around in the hive, and might even reward you with a New Year's sting or two. My preference is the easy option of fondant on top of the brood frames directly above the cluster, and here's why. Oh, before I explain, let's just revisit fondant. If you're out shopping at all, You'll have seen the Christmas cakes out there with their smooth white icing covering the entire cake. I have to say my personal preference if I'm making my own Christmas cake is the rock hard forked like snow kind of icing. But you don't want to be feeding that to your bees. Any soft fondant will do. 
I've been a fan of Appy Pasta, as you know, for some years now, and the bees really seem to take to it well. But if needs must, and if price and availability are a concern, then Baker's Fondant will be just fine too. The benefit of fondant is the glucose syrup that they add, which keeps it pliable and soft for longer. And this in turn means our bees can more readily utilise it without having to work too hard. Let's think back to my earlier example of a colony I need to put some fondant on. When I open a colony in midwinter, I'm not inspecting them. At least I'm not removing any frames to physically look at the bees. I just want to see that they're alive, where they are, and how many of them there are hunkered down between the frames. Large colonies will likely have what I term a bulge of bees on top of the frames, and that makes it even easier to take a guess at the size of the colony. Remember also that all colonies are not equal. I've had enormous colonies die out in late February, and a teacup of bees survive through to spring and go on to produce a decent crop of honey in the summer. We also have hungry bees and frugal bees. Don't you just love honeybee genetics? Those really large colonies might never get through all of their food, and those smallest of small colonies can eat their way through a brood box of honey in no time at all. It certainly keeps us on our toes, doesn't it? And you have to be ready for any eventuality, even the demise of a colony. But let's not go there just yet. My example of a small colony that I was talking about a moment or two ago, imaginary colony right now, you understand, but this colony is so small that let's say I only need to put one bag of fondant on it. That's a kilo of food. The food goes directly on the frames, directly above the cluster of bees. Now, I know I don't need to say this, but for the removal of any doubt at all, I've previously cut a hole in the bag so the bees can get to the food. You'd be surprised how many people will message me to ask if I've cut a hole in it if I don't mention it. Now, the reason for putting the fondant directly on the frames, I hope, is fairly obvious. It gets the food as close to the bees as possible. In previous seasons, I've even warmed the fondant so it's soft and then pushed it down in between the frames into the seams to be in contact with the bees. It can make all the difference. The warmth from the cluster will prevent the fondant from hardening too quickly and the bees should gradually shift upwards to be in contact with the food. It's amazing how well this simple little trick can help. In this example, if you simply put the fondant above the porter bee escape holes in the crime board, you might find that the bees simply can't move up high enough, quickly enough to get to the feed and they still starve and die. Do all you can to get that food down to the bees. For our larger bulge of bees type colony, it's fine to pop the fondant above the crime board. Once in contact with the food, they'll stay put and the bees will actually move up to the fondant and make sure that they're in contact with it all the time. The problem in the first example is how on earth do you get a kilo bag of fondant to sit beneath the crime board? Well, the simple answer is you don't. This is where your eek comes into its own. An eek is a simple provider of space. It's normally made of wood and ours vary from something like an inch in height to around three or four inches. 
It's a frame that sits on top of your brood box or super to give a little space so you can pop in a treatment, perhaps, or in this case, a bag or two of fondant. If you want to be cute with them, and of course, if you have the time, you could fill the inside of the eek with some insulation of some sort, that solid stuff that comes in sheets that builders use, for instance. Fill the eek with it and then cut a hole in the insulation so that only one bag of fondant can fit snugly into that. This would work fine if the cluster is positioned centrally in the brood box, but remember, they may be off to one side, so you may have to do some creative trimming to get the fondant directly above the bees, which is essential in order to get that food into them as quickly as possible. For larger colonies, there's no such issue. I simply pop an open bag of fondant onto the holes in the crime board and the bees happily move up to it. With most national crime boards, there are two holes, one centrally cut and the other one offset. I like to turn the crime board to match the cluster so that the feed is directly above the bees. But if you've got a packed brood box of bees, then that's unlikely to be an issue for you. Once you have the feed on, don't forget about it. Pop back at regular intervals to make sure that the bees are on it and using it. If they're struggling to get to it, consider cutting some into smaller sections and easing it between the frames so that it is in contact with the bees. Most likely, you'll go back and find the bees have eaten a bag full of food and it will need replacing. Happy days! Keep topping up the fondant until we get through to a spring nectar flow and your bees will be all the better for your help. Just to add to this, if you've fed your bees well, and they're frugal with their stores, you probably won't need to give them any additional food anyway. Not every colony will need to be fed fondant, so don't simply add fondant blindly. Check your bees using hefting and having a quick look under the crime board and make an assessment of their situation. If you have any doubts, drop me a message or have a chat with an experienced beekeeper at your association for advice and help. In other news, I've been back in the honey room again this past week and I have an update for you on my disaster of a leak in the Appy Melter. It turns out it was some incompetent beekeeper that caused the problem, namely me. Let me explain. The Appy Melter has a threaded pipe at one end where a tap is fitted to allow the control of any honey and wax that's then decanted out of the vat. One of the things you have to do is to wrap the screw thread with PTFE tape, a kind of soft plastic thread that creates a seal within the thread when you screw the tap back onto the pipe. Well, I was obviously feeling miserly when I put the tap back on because I didn't wrap the thread with enough of this PTFE tape. And as a result, the leak that I found last week was coming from the screw thread and running under the stainless steel tank and into the appy melter, running down the lower cover that's screwed to the underside of the tank, soaking the insulation before dripping out at the back. The good news is it's a simple fix. The bad news is the rockwool insulation is soaked and has gone mouldy, and, well, I'll have to clean that off and spray it with some of my hive clean disinfectant to prevent the mould from coming back and then I'll let it dry out completely before refitting it. The whole episode has actually given me an opportunity to check the bottom heater matrix and lucky that I did. 
The heater pad is a single sheet of some kind of plastic material where the heating element is embedded inside it. And it covers the entire mat in a kind of backwards and forwards winding pattern. At one point, the element has overheated and it's burnt through. It's only a tiny spot, less than the size of a five pence piece, but it is a problem that needs sorting. Funny how these things work out. I would never have thought about looking at the heater element beneath the appy melter without having this simple leak to fix. So being an optimist, I look at it as a fortuitous investigation of a different problem that may have allowed me to prevent a more significant issue developing, namely a fire of some sort. The bad news is I've just had a quote for the replacement parts and it's going to cost around £200 to fix. Again, it could have been a lot worse. So I'll take the hit, see if I can figure out how to complete the repair myself and move on. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget to check out my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. And for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Beekeeping short and sweet.